Hello, this is Eddie Duke. Welcome to the weekly podcast at Panther Creek Baptist Church. You know, Jesus Christ is an amazing person. As I look at our culture today, I am convinced the absolute only hope for this world in which we live is Jesus Christ. And every week, I will introduce you to messages that will communicate this hope that we have in Christ. I'm thankful that you've taken the time to catch us here this week. It means a lot to me that you would tune in, and I would love to hear from you. And now, here is this week's broadcast. It's so good to see everybody this morning. Thank you so much for coming out uh, this morning, uh, 8.30 um, early, so, so thank you. Uh, uh, I've got some announcements in a moment, but if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn with me. Uh, actually, there's a couple places. You don't have to turn to Luke chapter 10, uh, but go ahead and, and turn to Luke, or actually 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to um, uh, look in two spots here today. Uh, but the first place we're going to look is Luke chapter 10, and then I'm going to come to, to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. So, I don't know, Doug, it doesn't look like it's working down here again. Uh, but uh, we've been doing this series, and looking at this series, and we started this August 8th, can you believe it? Uh, we've gone uh, for a couple months now where we've looked at questions that Jesus asked, and the very first one that we started with was this one, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And that was really a good start, because we kind of piggybacked off that one, and we looked at all these questions after that, and question number two was, do you believe? Number three was, do you want to be well? Number four was, why are you so afraid? Uh, that one kind of hit me uh, where I was uh, because uh, that was right after uh, the heart attack. But uh, number five was, why did you doubt? Number six, do you understand yet? Number seven, are you going away? Number eight, do you love me? And last week we looked at it here at the 830 service. We talked about who touched me. And so all of these questions Jesus asked for a reason. We saw last week, why did Jesus ask questions? Why did he ask the questions that he asked? Uh, well, we don't have to look any further than the very first question that was asked in the Bible. The very first question asked in the Bible was when God asked Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God asked Adam, where are you? And, and now God knew very well where Adam was. Uh, he knew where Adam was, but to, he asked that question because he wanted Adam to consider where was he in relation to God. And so that's why he asked that question, where are you? And, and ever since then, when we see questions that Jesus asked in the Bible, he's asked them for the very same reason. He's asked, and, and we saw a theme actually in the questions that we looked at here, uh, because the theme was, has to do with faith. And so the reason why Jesus asked the questions that he asked and that we looked at every week is because he was asking, where are you in relation to your faith? Uh, where are you? What do you believe in me? You know, where, what is your faith like? And, and in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, uh, there's the definition of faith. And we've read it before, but it says this. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It is what is hoped for, the proof of what, is, of what is not seen. Now, you know what that verse is saying? If we look at that verse now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That verse is saying this. There needs to be evidence in order for something to our faith to point to. The reason why I believe in Jesus Christ is because there is evidence that points in that direction. There is evidence that we have. As a matter of fact, John Lennox, who's the professor of mathematics at Oxford University, he's also a philosopher and theologian, he says this, and before I read that part, 
I want to read something else that he said. He said, we are well aware that faith is only justified if there is evidence to back it up. Faith is only justified if there's evidence to back it up. Then he says this, evidence-based faith is the normal concept on which we base our lives. And I believe that. I believe the reason why we have the faith and the opportunity to have the faith that we have is because of the evidence that exists. And you know what? Jesus even said that. Because in Luke chapter 10, verse 26, this is the next question that I want us to see here, and that's this. Well, you, know, you remember this passage. Uh, Jesus has somebody coming to him, and this person asks a question. He says, what did he say? He said, what, what, what can I do to get eternal life? He asked Jesus that question. Now, we know the answer to that. And we, when we, If somebody were to ask us that, what, what, how can I go to heaven? How can I have eternal life? What would our answer be? Our answer would be, well, we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? So we know the answer to that. But that isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10. I think it's Luke chapter 10, verse 26. It says, what is written in the law, he asked him, how do you read it? And so what Jesus was saying was, how do you read the Bible? What does the Bible say to you? Because that is really where our faith begins. Our faith begins in the evidence that exists in the Word of God. And so that is why today I want us to see this is why Jesus asked the question, what do you believe about God's word? And that brings us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. This is why we constantly thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God which also works effectively in you who believe. The next verse is for you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country just as they did from the Jews verse 15 who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us they displeased God and are hostile to everyone and the last verse here is by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved as a result they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. Uh, before, we, uh, before we have a time of prayer, I'm going to ask here today, are there any prayer requests? And the first one I have on the list is uh, probably what you got on the prayer chain yesterday, and that is, uh, remember the Jacob Crabtree family. Uh, Jacob Crabtree was, uh, lost his life in an automobile accident uh, the other day, and so I think Jacob was about 20. I can still see Jacob sitting with his family uh, back here when he was a little boy. Uh, back here with uh, with his mom and or with his dad and his his sister, and uh, and I just uh, as I thought about Jacob this weekend, I thought you just never know. You know, we cannot take it for granted the people that come to church. You know, the people that walk in these doors. You know, and 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 Jacob was was young when he came here, and so uh, so definitely continue to remember them. I know this has got to be painful. Uh, remember the Ferd Reeves family in your prayers. I did that. Uh, uh, service this uh, this past Friday, so uh, so remember Pam and Paige and, and their family. All right, well, I'll go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for this time that we have, uh, God, again, to open up your word and to hear from you. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today as, as we seek you uh, here. God, I'm thankful for each person in this room. And God, I just pray that we won't take this time for granted. Uh, Father, I pray that every time we come here, Father, it'll be with the desire uh, to hear from you, 
uh, that it will be a desire to love others, uh, Father, to love you with all of our heart. God, I just uh, thank you so much uh, for this time that you've given us to come in here and, and just open up your word and to hear from you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I guess you've noticed the choir up here behind me. Don't they look good? That's the first time we've had the choir in the loft there since the pandemic. So uh, we're all thankful for today. Today's a, a big step. So they're going to be coming and sharing a, a special with you here in a few moments. But we want to start off with a great old hymn, Have Faith in God. Let's stand as we sing, first, second, fourth stanza. sounded great. So thankful for that. Uh, we got a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Next week is a big week. Uh, November 21st is going to be a big uh, Sunday for us in this. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about for November 21st is that these have to be back by November 21st. We really don't have any control of these. Uh, these are mailed out that week before Thanksgiving and so I have to have them back by November 21st. So there's only a, select, only a few number of boxes left, empty boxes left back there for you to take home this week, fill it and bring it back. But don't worry, if you don't get a box or you can't, you can still build it online. So if you, uh, somebody gave me some money today, uh, you know, I said, hey, could you build this online? So we can, we could do it online. So we could do that if you want to, but, um, but make sure today uh, that you take a box home, bring it back. They have to be back by November 21st. There's something else that needs to happen by November 21st. Uh, we need everybody to sign up. Uh, we're going to have our Thanksgiving meal next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. 
Uh, so the Thanksgiving meal's back. So thankful for that. That'll be at 6 o'clock. And there's a sign-up sheet back here on the table. And there's a sign-up sheet at the Christian Life Center on the table when you come in. And even if you don't know what you're bringing yet, even if you're not bringing anything, you know, we just need you to sign up and let us know what the count because we need to know uh, how many is going to be coming because we're going to order the meat this week and get that together. I do have another question for you. Is there anybody that just right off the top of their head right now says, you know what, I'll be able to, um, I'll be able to help next week. Uh, we need uh, people to help in the kitchen uh, next week at 6 o'clock. I don't know if we, we probably need people there a little earlier, uh, maybe 5.15, 5, 5.15 or so. Uh, but, uh, but anybody right now, just raise their hand and say, yeah, you know what, hey, you can count. Okay, thank you, Debbie, Joanna, thank you, Steve. Anybody else? How's this for putting you on the spot? <laughs> hey, you don't have to answer right now. You may need to think about it and say, oh, I don't know if I can next week. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, you can get with me after the service. Carl, Carl, I got you down. No, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Beth, Beth. Okay, we got you, Beth. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I forgot about the choir. Did you catch anybody else, Beth, that we had their hand back, back here? Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, definitely uh, let me know if you, can, if you can help in that. So I'll let you know about the meal. I'll let you know about the uh, Christmas child. Oh, there's something else that's going to happen on the 21st. Uh, we're continuing to work the kinks out, continue to work, you know, deal with everything that's happened over the past year. So next week we're going to do something else. Um, we've got the 830 service that takes place here now. We've got 9.30 at Sunday school, but guess what? The 10.30 service that's been meeting at the Christian Life Center will be coming back over here. So there won't be any services next week at the Christian Life Center. And people have asked me about Sunday school. As far as I know, there's two Sunday school classes that meet right now. There's Linda, and then there's Steve and Joanna's. If they still want to meet over there, oh, that's great. You know, they, the heat will be on, everything like that. But there won't be any service next week at the Christian Life Center. So is everybody okay with understand that? If, if, if that doesn't work for you, if you have an issue with that, please let one of the deacons know. Uh, they really do want to hear your feedback on this. Again, this is something we're still trying to work the kinks out on. 8.30 here next week, 9.30 Sunday school, and 10.30 here next week. So I think that's it, John. I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you. Here's a great old song. This is... Uh Many, many people's favorite, Till the Storm Passes By. Let's stand as we sing all three stanzas. Wrong. 
you guys. Um, as we uh, start the children's moment here today, I'm holding in my hand, and uh, uh, Gracie and, and Taylor can just verify this. The, what are these? Pennies. Okay, exactly right, Taylor. They are pennies. They are pennies. I'm going to show this to Faith, too. Ezra, good to see you. I'll show it to Ezra. Ezra has her eyes open. She's looking around. Good to see you, ma'am. <laughs> so, Faith, you see these? Okay, this one's from 1977, and this one's from 1981. So I've got uh, two pennies here, and the things about pennies that uh, have been around for that long, uh, from 1977 to 1981, they tend to get into places that they shouldn't have been, you know, uh, that is why they get brown, that's why they get dirty, you know, I mean, they get all this color on them, and so, uh, so I, I did something uh, this morning, I put together a science experiment, Faith, uh, Taylor, Hunter, um, and the science experiments I did was I filled a cup and I've had to be very careful not to mistake, mistake this for coffee this morning uh, because the cup has, in the bottom of it, I poured all this salt in it. So keep a layer of salt in the bottom. Have you ever done this before, Faith? Hunter, Taylor, have you all ever done this before? Okay, so in the bottom, you just fill it with salt. Then you fill the rest of the cup up with vinegar. If you've got any vinegar at home. Now, if I put these two pennies in here, I'm going to let them sit there for a little while. Something's going to happen to these two pennies. That salt and vinegar, that acid in there, is going to work on all that dirt, and it's going to clean, clean them all off. I'm going to uh, take out two that I did before. Now, look at it. I don't know if you can see this. Can you see how shiny it is? Can you see that, Faith, Ezra? You see that? <laughs> so, so now these two are shiny. These are the ones I did before. So that is really how it works. You know, I mean, that's how I can clean all that gunk off from 1977. That's how it works. And guess what? God works the same way. God can keep us clean. Uh, there's times in our life where we get into things that we shouldn't be getting into. There are times in our life maybe where we go places where we shouldn't go, and we may get sin on our life, and it just builds up. Guess what? God can take all that away. But here's the great thing about God. God doesn't just take, oh, here's, let me go ahead and take one out here and show you. This is the one from 1981. Look how shiny that is already. Do you see that, Faith? Can you see that? You can, y'all you, can take this. <laughs> but this, see how shiny it is already? But here's the great thing about God. God doesn't just clean up all the things that we have, all the sin that we have on the outside. God works on our heart. So wouldn't it be great if this penny could say, you know what, I don't want to go to the places that I went before. I don't want to go to the places that got me all messed up, that got me dirty. That's how God works. God works in our heart so that we won't have to go to those places and experience that again. So just remember that about God. That's the great thing about Him, okay? All right. I'm going to give uh, Faith, do you want this one? Do you want this? 
It smells like vinegar, so let it dry out first, and then y'all can have it, and I'll get one for Hunter and Crazy, or Hunter and Taylor. Thank you, guys. That sounded awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Several years ago, there was, a, there was a New York journalist 
that wanted to do something. Actually, he wrote a book, and the book was entitled The Year of Living Biblically. Uh, now, this journalist was A.J. Jacobs. He's still around. Uh, A.J. Jacobs is an agnostic. Uh, he doesn't really believe in God, but he's also Jewish, uh, and, and he, he really knew the Bible pretty well. He knew about the laws that exist in Leviticus, and, and so he started, he, he wanted to do something. He wanted to say, what would life be like if we really lived the Bible literally, if we took the Bible literally and we lived it out according to the rules that are written in the Old Testament. So for one year, that's exactly what he did. He wrote down 700 rules that he found, and that is how he lived. He did not shave at all. He just grew his beard out. He didn't wear uh, clothes with mixed fabrics in it. Uh, he wouldn't shake hands with women. Uh, he, uh, he, let's see, what else did he do? Uh, he... Um, he obeyed a lot of the dietary laws that he found uh, in there. Uh, he also, like, uh, he blew a shofar at the end of every day to signify the end of the day. So he did all these things. He said, what, and, and this to give you kind of a, an idea of what the book was about and the gist of the book. He was in Central Park one day, and he was kind of like wearing all this, you know, looking, uh, doing all the things that he normally did in order to keep the rules of the Old Testament. And somebody, some guy came up to him and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, this is what I'm doing. He said, you know, I'm, I've been trying this for a year, trying to live out all the rules of the Old Testament, of the Bible, trying to live it literally. And the guy said, well, how's it going? He said, well, it's going pretty good, but there's some things I haven't been able to do. And the guy asked him, he said, what's one of the things that you haven't been able to do? He said, well, I haven't been able to find anybody that's committed adultery yet. And so he asked this guy, he said, have you committed adultery? And the guy said, yeah, yeah, I have. And so what uh, A.J. Jacobs did was he took a, a bag out of his pocket, and in the bag were little pebbles. And so he took those pebbles out of the bag, and he started throwing it at this guy, you know, because you're supposed to stone somebody, you know, that's caught in, in, uh, in adultery, you know. And so the guy, you know, thought this was weird, so he picked up the stones, he throws them back at A.J. Jacobs. And so they had this rock fight back and forth, you know. But that was kind of what the whole idea behind the book was about. He wanted to show that this is ridiculous. You know, I mean, how can we follow a book like this? How can we believe in a book like this? He really wanted to show that. Uh, one of the things that he found, though, I thought was pretty interesting, he discovered that as he was doing this, he felt a little healthier. His diet was healthier. For another thing, he took Sundays off. He took Sabbath off uh, all for that year. And he said, you know, my stress level went way down. So a lot of the things that he was doing was really beneficial to him. He said after the end of it, he became a reverent agnostic. Uh, but, you know, he's had really changes of views about God. But he looked at this book like a rule book. Like, you know, like, like it's about regulations. And, and I, did, I did a funeral this past Friday, and it was Ferd Reeves, if you remembered Ferd. And, and uh, when I met with his, his wife, one of the things that his wife told me was that he was not big in organized religion. And I thought about that, and, and she was kind of surprised at what I was told her when she told me that. I said, you know what? I'm not big in organized religion either. As a matter of fact, I despise organized religion. And she, she looked at me, she said, you're a pastor and you're saying you don't like religion? I said, absolutely, I do not like religion. You know what? You know why? Because we as Christians have a higher calling. Our most important calling in life isn't a life that is lived according to rules or regulations. It is a life that is lived in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is a love letter from God that details how we can have a relationship with 
him and how we can be in fellowship with him. That is what the Bible is all about. And that is why it is presented as evidence for the faith that we have. I do not have a blind faith. I don't just have a faith that is a shark shot in the dark, do you? I don't just have a faith that is just a blind walk in the dark, not knowing where I'm going. I have a faith that is based upon the evidence that exists in the Word of God. And in God's Word, we see there are three things that, three reasons why we can present this as evidence to the faith that we have. There's three reasons why. And the first one that we see here is this it comes through ordinary people. The first evidence that we have through the Word of God is that it comes through ordinary people. Look with me at verse 13. Verse 13 says again, You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the Word of God. Over 1,500 years. Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. Over 1,500 years, the Word of God, God inspired 40 different people in three different languages of His Word. The Word we have right now came over 1500 years to ordinary people 40 different ones in three different languages that is how God is inspired I look at God's word and I think man it is the evidence to the faith that we have because of the way that God inspired people that he inspired if you really think about it look at it Moses was a prince who was in the desert that he gave the word to Daniel was a prime minister in Iraq there, there was Amos who was a farmer Peter was a fisherman Luke was a doctor Matthew worked for the IRS, but all these people, ordinary people, God spoke to that presented his word to them. Think about how that could work today. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought if I took 40 people here, well, maybe not here this morning, but if we took 40 people in our church family that lived in different homes, 40 people that lived in different homes, different families, we all speak the same language, we've got pretty much the same culture, we all live in the same town, we all go to the same church. But if I picked 40 different families and I said, okay, for the next month, just the next month, I want you to write a journal of 50 to 100 pages. What do you think the odds are that these 40 families would come back with something very similar written about? That they would come back with the same topic, the same message, the same symmetry in their writings? I think it's very rare. And yet... Over 1,500 years, we have people from different cultures. We have people from different backgrounds speaking three different languages that have done exactly that. The symmetry of God's Word is miraculous. <laughs> and it goes to show the evidence of our faith. The evidence of our faith is found in that God's Word was written and presented to ordinary people. But that's not all. The second thing that we see here is this. It is at work in us. Verse 13 says, which also works effectively to you who believe. It is at work in us. If I'm thirsty, if you're thirsty, what do we do? I'm kind of thirsty, actually. Uh, so if we're thirsty, we're going to do the what? We're going to take a drink. And that drink of water that we take is going to satisfy our thirst. If we're hungry, we're going to get food. And that food is going to nourish us. And that food is going to strengthen us. If we need oxygen, what are we going to do? We're going to take 
I could use one right now. We're going to take a big old breath, you know, and that oxygen that comes into our lungs goes throughout our body, and it's exactly what we need. If we didn't have water, if we didn't have food, if we didn't have oxygen, we could not survive. And the Bible says that God's Word is exactly like that. We need it in order to survive. It is God's Word. It is at work effectively in us. This Bible that I'm holding right now presents the picture of God. It presents the picture of God, but it does something else. You know, once I was in Alaska, in Alaska, I went to an art museum. And at that art museum, I'm walking around, I'm looking at all the beautiful pieces of art, all the wonderful things that people have done. And I come across something that looked out of sorts. And I'm standing there for a while, and one of the people who work there at this art museum come up to, came up to me, and they said, uh, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's okay except for this piece. I said, this piece is shallow, it's crude, it's lacking beauty. What do you call this? And he said, sir, that's a mirror. I said, okay. You know, so, so, but that's exactly what the Bible does. The Bible also reflects who we are in God. It reflects where we are in God. It is a mirror. The Bible works effectively in us. i got to take another drink after that one. <laughs> that one wore me out. <laughs> I think I shared with you before that I had the opportunity to speak once at the, the State Convention Baptist of Ohio, their annual convention, and it was held in Dayton. And uh, so it was so exciting. I was so nervous. And, uh, and, I got, and Lisa went with me, and, and we were there, and we, we stayed for a few days. And, and another speaker that was there was a guy by the name of Avery Willis. Now, I don't know if you know Avery Willis, but around Southern Baptist circles, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. Uh, but Avery Willis wrote Master Life. He wrote that discipleship training series, you know, the Master Life. And, uh, and, and when we got on, at the end of the day, when we got on the elevator to go back to our room, guess what? Avery Willis got on the elevator. I was so excited. That, I count that as one of the highlights of my life. And I'm not sure if we said more than five to ten words to each other, but golly, I was on the elevator with Avery Willis. And Avery Willis, again, wrote this book called Master Life and it's discipleship. And in Master Life, he talks about how we can get a good grasp on God's Word. And he said, if you really think about it, if you look at your hand, you can't hold on to God's Word with just one finger. So if you try with just your pinky, that's not going to work. If you try with just your thumb, you're not going to get a good grasp on it. He said, you've really got to grasp it with your whole hand in order to get a good grasp on God's Word in order to hold it. He said, you know what? When we read God's Word, when we apply God's Word, we need to look at it with our hand. And I'll give you a copy of this if you want to, if you want me to, but you can find it by Googling it, uh, Master Life Hand, and it'll probably come up. Uh, but, but the first thing that he said here is look at your pinky. You look at your pinky, and the first thing that we see in our pinky is we need to remember here. The first thing we need to do in order to grasp God's Word is we need to hear it. I mean, we need to hear it like we're doing now. We need to hear God's Word. We need to talk about God's Word as we're having this discussion. The next finger that we see is the word read. We need to have times in our life where we're reading God's Word. I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm asking you right now, if there's not a time in your life where you're reading God's Word right now, 
and you're saying to yourself, I just can't get into that reading program. I just can't read a chapter a day. I can't read, you know, then read a few verses like we just did. It would be better than nothing. <laughs> so if you're not reading anything right now, I would advise you to just read a couple of verses at least, you know, read something in God's word. That is how we get a, gra get a, get a good grasp on it. Study God's word study God's word begin to ask yourself questions about what this really is saying you know what our memory verse is our memory verse I think is this giving thanks always to God our father in the name of our for everything to God our father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ which is Ephesians 5 20 so you look at a verse like that and you ask yourself okay what does it mean to give thanks in everything what does it mean? Does it mean to give thanks always in everything? Begin to study it. So that's the next verse, the next finger on your hand, and then the next one is memorize. Every month for this year, we have tried to memorize a verse. And you say, what is the benefit to memorizing? I tell you, every verse I've memorized, God has always used. This was without fail. Every verse I've memorized, God has always brought somebody into my life. That, that verse just pops to my mind when they, they share with me a problem that they're going through, or they share with me the things that they're going through. All of a sudden, that verse that I memorized comes to my heart and mind, and I have an opportunity to share that. That happens all the time. That is why it's important for us to memorize. The last thing that we see with our thumb here is to meditate. Meditate on God's Word. Think about that. You know, I mean, just really think about it as you're meditating on God's Word. And as we find... As we've gone through all of our fingers here, now we get a better hold on God's Word for our life. But you know what? This isn't enough. There's one last thing. And Avery Willis said, you know what? If we want to really get a good grasp on God's Word, we've got to hold it with our palm. We've got to hold it with our palm and our fingers. You know what that palm is? The palm is apply. How does that apply to me? What does it mean to give thanks always in everything to Lord, the Lord God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, how does that apply to me? How can I make that work this week? What can I do in order to live that verse out? That is how now, when we've done all those things, now we are holding on to the Bible. Now we've got a good grasp for it in our life. But I know that God's word is the evidence for the faith that I need in my life. Why? Because it's at work in me it's working effectively in me it's working effectively in you when we get a great grasp on it the last thing that we see here is verse 14 verse 14 is this it produces opposition verse 14 says since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country we know this isn't it interesting isn't it interesting think about all the ancient writings in the world today there's all these ancient writings. Uh, there's uh, writings by Voltaire. You go back to Plato and Socrates. I mean, you can look at all these ancient writings in the world today. And yet, what is the most controversial writing? Nobody's talking about any of the other writings. They're only talking about God's Word. Why? Because God's Word is a living, breathing document that speaks to people's hearts. And there's three reasons why. And you know it's true. There are three reasons why it produces opposition in the world. First of all, it exposes sin. It exposes sin. 
The Bible exposes the sin of the world. It exposes the sin that is there. You know, I mean, the problem, uh, as a matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8, uh, says it like this. The problem of the, of the heart of our world is the problem of the, of, of the heart. You know, uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 8 says this. 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The problem in America today isn't the social issues that we're all talking about. The problem in America today is not the political parties and the divide that we see. The problem in America today is not the division at all. The problem in America today is sin. That is the problem of our world today. It is the sin that exists. And, and social evolutionists like to say this. They like to tell us this, that man, one day there's a human utopia coming that if we can just do this, if we can just practice this, if we just put this in place or we put this in place, guess what? It's not happening. It's not happening. As we go more and more, we're finding it's more wicked and more away from God than ever before. Education and technology are not providing the answers to the problems that we face. You know why? Because the problem that we face is the problem of sin. And there's good news and there's bad news. And the bad news is the wages of sin is death. But the good news is the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The problem, the reason why the Bible provides produces opposition is because it exposes sin and it exposes our sinful condition but there's something else that it does it also lets people know that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ and a lot of people don't like that I mean look at the world I mean when people see that people turn to Jesus sometimes they say you know what I just don't know why God would forgive a person like that and a lot of times, forgiveness produces opposition. But there's one final thing that it does, and that's this. It reveals the punishment of sin. The reason why the Bible is opposed today is because it reveals the punishment of sin. Look, I like it when my children succeed. I love it when my children succeed and when my children do well. I don't like it when my children get second place. I don't like it when my children don't win. I want them to win as much as anything else but we live in a world where there's participation trophies we live in a world where there's particip participation certificates we live in a world where we're telling people there is no losing there is no downside but the bible comes in and says there's only victory in jesus christ and it reveals the punishment of sin apart from jesus christ and no way is there, are there going to be people that like this in the world that we live today. It produces opposition for that very reason. As a matter of fact, in 1730, can you imagine this today? In 1730, it was the first great awakening. There's 13 British colonies. Uh, the first great awakening, God used people to bring this about. Pre people preaching. Uh, this past week, Sydney was telling me about a lesson that she had at school. And she said, Dad, have you ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? <laughs> I said, yeah, Sydney, I think I've heard of Jonathan Edwards. She said, I'm studying about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon, Dad. She said it was one of the greatest sermons that people said there's ever been. You know, aside from Jesus, this is one of the greatest sermons. I said, I know it. It's sinners in the hands of an angry God. And Sydney said, yeah, that's it. And guess what? You know, Jonathan Edwards was educated. He educated at Yale. 
he married the daughter of the president of Yale. Jonathan Edwards became the president of Princeton. He was the president of Princeton to the age of 55. When He wasn't a fiery preacher. He didn't get up and yell and shout. He didn't get up and scream. Actually, Jonathan Edwards read his sermons word for word from the page without ever looking up. A lot of people would think that's mundane today, you know, just reading it right there, not ever looking around, not ever walking around. Never, you know, how could he get people's attention like that? He read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God exactly like that. And I want to read you a portion of what he read because this is what he said. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the stream. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you know, we are so close to it all being over. We are so close living on the edge. We don't know what the next moment is going to bring. It could all be over. And if we're apart from God, that's it. That's it. And he closed it with these words. This is what he said. Many are daily coming that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you are in are now in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to him who has loved them and washed them from their sins in his own blood. He preached there is punishment for our sin, but there is a God who loves us and will mercifully forgive us if only we'll come. I want to close with this. In 1949, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention was known as the Foreign Mission Board. They were just beginning to send, uh, we're going to talk about Lottie Moon here in a couple weeks. You know, Lottie Moon is one of my favorites. Uh, They were just beginning to send missionaries out into the world. There was a man by the name of Dr. Julius Hickerson that they were going to have serve as a missionary in Columbia. So they got him together, and actually what they wanted him to do was start a seminary in Columbia, in Cali. He was going to start a seminary, which they trained people in the gospel and telling others about the gospel, going into villages and telling people about the gospel. That was the sole purpose. But before he could arrive and build that cemetery, before he could arrive and build, I mean, a lot of people would call seminary cemeteries, uh, but a lot of people, before he could arrive, he died in a crash along the border of Columbia in Venezuela. He never arrived in Cali. He never arrived to be able to do that. And so they never were able to start that seminary in order to do it. But a few years after that, these missionaries serving in Colombia had these villagers come in. And these villagers were talking about Christ. They were Christians. They had formed churches in several of the villages that they had lived in. And the missionaries thought, how in the world is this possible? Because we don't have any missionaries there. There's never been any missionaries there. How in the world are Christians coming from this region because there's not any missionaries? You know what happened when they asked them, how is it that you know about Jesus Christ? They said, we know about Jesus Christ from the book that fell from heaven. And said, what book fell from heaven? And they said, do you have this book? And they said, yeah, we've got the book. So they gave them the book. The book was a leather-bound New Testament. And on the outside of that New Testament was the name Julius Hickerson. It was in Spanish. And so there was one person in that village when they discovered this book that found that book of Julius Hickerson and began to tell others about the gospel. People came to Christ in that village. They went to other villages 
told people the same thing. They came to Christ. All of a sudden, churches were rising up in this area and the missionaries couldn't figure out how in the world that could happen because Dr. Julius Hickerson never made it to his destination on this earth, but the Word of God did. And that is the power of God's Word. That is why we have evidence to the faith that we do. The evidence of the faith that we have is a book that comes through ordinary people that God has inspired. It is a book that works in each and every one of us who believe. It is a book that produces opposition, but it is the living, breathing Word of God.